Although our salvation was a one-time event, the joy is something that we come back to again and again and again. The gift of God to remember what He has done for us. And I find myself in a place of just saying, hallelujah, glory to God for what He has done for me, for His redemption, for His salvation. So can we just activate that in our own hearts this morning? That we would be a people who says, glory to God for what he has done. Glory to God who has redeemed our life from the pit. Glory to God who meets us in the ashes. Glory to God who carries us in every season. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We're thankful. We're grateful. Oh 
God is so good. Oh, so, so good to be in the presence of the Lord together. Almost every Sunday, if you just sort of look around the room and kind of sense what's going on, you, you realize that joy and peace is breaking out all around this place. As we remember that we don't have a God who created the world and then walked away and said, good luck with that. He did all that and then he said, I am the God who is with you and who's for you, who loves you. And suddenly our circumstances look different in light of who God is. And you know, yesterday we, we woke up to news of a pretty heartbreaking situation in Israel. And we're gonna pray that the same sense that we have here and now, that God is near, that God is for us, that God is great, that the one who created the world is in charge and has us will break out all over that place. That he will bring peace, that he will bring comfort, that he will rescue, that he will foil the plots of people to bring terror and destruction in that place. Are you guys with me this morning? Can we do that together? And we're gonna pray like our prayers really matter and really accomplish something because guess what? Yes, they do. All right, church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that says that the one who watches over Israel never sleeps, never slumbers. God, this thing took everybody by surprise, but you knew it was gonna happen and you are already at work. You are already on the move. And Lord, we begin this morning praying for the friends and family who lost people they love. God, will you cover them with your comfort today? Will you remind them, will you reveal yourself to them as the God of all comfort? Lord, we pray for rescue for those who are being held hostage. God, will you bring deliverance? Will you protect the innocent men, women, and children in Gaza, in the West Bank, in all of Israel. Lord, will you bring calm for Jew, for Christian, for Muslim alike, will you be, bring calm? We pray for the children traumatized by this. Lord, will you wash over them? Will you pull them under your wing? Lord, we pray that somehow your name would be known among all in Israel today as the great God of comfort. Lord, we're asking for wisdom for military and political leaders. Lord, we pray against other nations getting involved in a way that would bring more destruction. Lord, we pray for the ceasing of violence in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you hear our prayers collectively and individually and that you are on the move and that you are the great God. And so this morning, even as we grieve, even as we're concerned, we turn all of that into prayer and into faith that you are on the move. We thank you. We pray together as a church in your name and the church together said, 
Amen. Amen. Well, as we get ready to give, we're reminded, receive our tithes and offerings. We're reminded that first and foremost, we give as worship unto God, but we also give with the expectation that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus around the world and in our city. We have so many partners in Israel, both Jew, both Palestinian believer that we visited a few years ago with dozens of partners in that region that we're gonna look for in the coming weeks, ways that we could get involved. And so church, let's continue to worship as we give. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The line of this morning we have the joy and the privilege of standing shoulder to shoulder with these families as they dedicate their children. We're so, we're so honored to be able to pray over you and just agree with God, what God is saying over you and your homes and your family. Pastor Evie, will you introduce us to our families and to the children they're dedicating? Hi, I'm AJ Skiles. This is my wife, Kiani. Um, our oldest is Lila Joy, she's five. Nora Grace is three. And Ella May, who we're dedicating, is three months. Thank you. Awesome. Hello, my name's Elena, and today I'll be dedicating my son Noah. Hello, my name is Brenda, and my husband is Tyler, and we're dedicating Luca, who's three, and Havana, who's two. Awesome. You know, there's few things like parenting, like marriage, like family, that make us realize all over again that we can't do it on our own, that we need God. We know the kind of parents we want to be, and we know that we, we can't always deliver on that, right? And so we're reminded that first and foremost, our role as parents is to be men and women of, of prayer 
and to talk to God about our parenting journey and to ask God, what does it look like for me to parent this child's heart? Not just their behavior, but inside. How do I help them grow and develop in their walk with God? So as much as we are praying prayers of dedication over your children, we're doing that. We're praying for you as parents, as grandparents, siblings, aunts and uncles. We're praying that God will give you wisdom as you raise these children. Church, will you extend your hands? Pray over these. Father, we thank you for each family represented here today before us. And we just ask, Lord, that as it is in heaven, that it would so be in their homes, that you would give these moms and dads, these other parental figures in these children's lives wisdom, that their words would be words of life, correction, encouragement, that they would come from you, that you would fill their mouths with words for their children that would bless them and speak of the future that you have for them. Lord, we pray that you would surround these homes, that you would protect them from the evil one, that the schemes of the evil one would be canceled out by your power and your strength over these homes, Lord. We pray for these children, that they would grow up knowing you, loving you, and seeing you as you are, God, the great loving God. Lord, we pray that they would grow up with a sense of purpose and direction in their life. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. And we dedicate these children together with their families in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the church together said, amen, amen. Awesome, congratulations. Yeah. All right, we're gonna open the scriptures together here in just a minute, turn around. Greet the people around you and tell them, welcome to church. Good morning, I'm Becky. We're so glad you're here with us today at New Life North. My name is Briggs. If you're new here and you're wondering what ministries New Life Church offers, you can scan the QR code or click the link below. And if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, be sure and make a comment and let us know where you're watching from. Yes. Grab your Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook, grab your favorite coffee. It's time to lean in and hear an amazing message. Thank Good looking. You. Yeah. Welcome. All right, sorry, I got distracted by the babies over there. Those. Yeah, I think, I think I'm ready to be a granddad at some point. Yeah, I think I'll be pretty good at that. No pressure on Abram and Callie, but hurry up. Anyways, <laughs> all right, so good to be with you. Good morning, how are you? Good to see you, it's always good to be in church together, glad to be with you. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, we're gonna be, we're walking our way through the book of 1 Kings, and I wanna just uh, encourage you one more time. We're gonna be gathering on Wednesday morning at 7.30, and we're gonna be gathering Wednesday at noon uh, to pray especially for what's happening in the Middle East right now. A couple of things just to consider. I was just in Israel last summer, a couple of summers ago, and we got a chance to go into the West Bank and meet some Palestinians. And not everyone who is Palestinian is Hamas. Just keep that in mind. A lot of Palestinians are being terrorized by the same organization as terrorizing Israel. And they are under duress constantly. In fact, we met with a group of really devoted Christ followers who are Palestinian. And they said, please pray for us. We are a small minority. 
in a, in a complicated world, and they are mortified, horrified right now just as we are. So we, we want to pray for Israel. We want to pray for peace in Israel, but we also want to pray for our Palestinian brothers and sisters who love Jesus like we do, and they're trying to do the best they can. They feel trapped inside of Palestine. They can't get out, so they're doing the best they can like you and I would. So we'll pray for everyone there involved, that's my point. And we're going to do that on Wednesday uh, on 7.30 and at noon. Also, next Sunday is going to be an epic celebration as we baptize people. We've already had some baptisms in some of the other congregations. I think we've baptized about 25 people already. But next Sunday, we're going to baptize over 100 people here at North. And it's going to be an exciting time. Uh, we have the baptismal tanks right there under the floor on both sides. They'll be completely full of people celebrating changed lives, salvations. I just, I'm just ready. I'm ready for it to happen today. If you want to be a part, listen, I had a young guy reach out to me this week and he said, Pastor Brady, I'm, I follow Jesus, but do I really need to be baptized? <laughs> I said, yes, Jesus said to be baptized. And I tell me, I said, let me tell you why. I said, what God has done, what Jesus has done in your life privately needs to be declared publicly. You need to come out and go public with your faith. You need to experience the miracle of water baptism. Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist in the, in the Jordan River. I said, it is a powerful moment. Do not miss out on that. Don't just chalk it out uh, as uh, some religious ritual. So listen, anyone in the room, anyone watching online, if Jesus is Lord of your life, if you have made up your mind that Jesus is King, that you're gonna follow him all the days of your life, your next step is to enter the waters of baptism. You can do it next Sunday. It's gonna be a great celebration. Go to newlifechurch.org, sign up there, and we're gonna celebrate with you. Bring your family and friends next Sunday, okay? Does that sound good? Good, five of you, that's all I needed. Go to 1 Kings 18. And, um, it's not lost on me that we're talking about violence in the land of Israel in 1 Kings 18. 3,000 years later, there's still violence in the land of Israel. Same demons. Same spirits that have been attacking God's people in Israel, still at work today. And this story out of 1 Kings 18 is an epic story. It's one of the most powerful, epic, miraculous stories in the Hebrew Testament. It's a story of Elijah calling the prophets of Baal to an, a showdown. And you're about to hear some serious Old Testament trash talking. I mean, you're about to hear it. Elijah would have been a beast on social media. I think he would have just owned it because he was, he's about to trash talk the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal is this pagan god who promises water and they've been in a drought for three and a half years. At the time that we come into this story, Ahab and Jezebel, who are now the rulers of the northern tribes, are slaughtering God's people. They are capturing all the prophets and putting them to death. God's people are hiding in caves, trying to save their lives from this evil ruler, Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah walks right into the place of danger. This is a, a really courageous man, a prophet of God, who walks into the most dangerous place on earth and confronts the most dangerous pagan idol worshipers on the planet. And he challenges them to a showdown. He said, you uh, construct your altar, put your sacrifice on that altar, and call for your God to come and consume your sacrifice. He said, then I'm gonna put my sacrifice on my God's altar 
and I'm gonna call for him to consume it and let the best man win, because that's the story, okay? So early in the morning, out in the open, in an open place, thousands of people are going to gather for this epic made-for-television event. <laughs> the prophets of Baal versus Elisha the prophet, best man wins, best God wins. That's, that's the showdown that's about to happen, okay? First Kings chapter 18. Now I'm gonna read the whole story to you. See, okay, if I read a lot of the Bible in church? It's a great story. You're gonna love the story. If you've never heard this story, you're gonna love it. Now Elijah, verse 25, now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many. There's a lot of you. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So hours go by. And they say things like, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about. So these are charismatic pagans. They leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, hey, maybe you should pray louder. Here's the trash talking, okay? Cry aloud for he is a God. Maybe he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now he is just really poking the bear here. So the, these, these prophets now are raging mad. They're red faced, they're aggravated. And so, so they cried aloud and then they begin to cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Now, I know that's, that's a bit disconcerting, that's a bit crude, but I want you to notice something that the pagan gods always required the harm of their worshipers. Notice that God, the Father, invites us into worship by grace, but it's pagan gods that require us to harm ourselves or harm each other in order to get access into their worship space. And so verse 29, and when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Because think about this, they've been going since eight in the morning through lunchtime, the entire afternoon, they're calling on their pagan God to consume their sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, I like this, and no one paid attention. But then Elijah said to all the people, hey, come over here to me. So all the people came near to him. Now these are not his friends. I want you to be very clear about this. These are not his friends. These are primarily worshipers of Baal. And there, we don't know how many were there, but let's say there's hundreds of them there. These are people that do not love him. They hate him. They wish him harm. He says, hey, come over here. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. In other words, he's reminding them of the covenant that God had already made with the Jewish people. Then when the stones he built, with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. So several barrels full of seeds. And he put the wood in order. He cut the bull in pieces. He laid it on the Traeger and he said, fill four water pots with water and, and he pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. 
So he, listen, he wants to leave no doubt in the people's minds that this sacrifice is completely saturated with water. In other words, there is no human way, listen very carefully, there is no human way to set this bull on fire. Now, I'm, I'm saying that because that's the place you have to get before miracles begin to happen. Miracles happen when there is no other way for it to happen. If you make it happen, if we make it happen, it's not a miracle. It's hard work, it's diligence, whatever. But there are times in our lives, in our families, our children, our bodies, our jobs, when we need God to do something that only God can do. So for a third time, so the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and he said, now I want you to stop here and notice how simple this prayer is. And I want you to be reminded that you don't have to be a professional to see miracles. You can pray common prayers with common language, with common faith, and see uncommon things happen in your life. Let me hear one more time. You can pray common prayers with common words, with common faith, and see uncommon things happen in your life. Lord God of Abraham, listen to his words, very simple. A very simple Jewish prayer, quite honestly. He says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. And he says, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people, listen, this is motivation. Now it's about to reveal the motivation for the miracle. He says, hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And at that moment, as he said that prayer, listen to what happened. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. And the wood and the stones and the dust, it licked up all the water that was in the trench, everything's gone. Now this is the result, here's what happened. Now when all the people saw it, again, are these believers or unbelievers? Unbelievers, these are pagan, idol worshipers who are watching this whole thing. I've been to Mount Carmel, and I was the last time I was there, I stood on Mount Carmel. I said, I want to see this replayed. I would love to have been here to watch all this happen. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you today that you're living and breathing and moving and acting, that you're not a mute idol, that you're not a dead entity, but you're alive and well, and you hear the cries of your people. Lord, your eyes are open to us. Your heart is tuned to us. Your, your mind is listening to us. We thank you that you're a God that is near to us, not a God that is far off. And for that, we are very grateful. Would you do holy work in all of us today as we listen to these scriptures in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want you to think about the miracles of Christianity, the miracles that we read about in the Bible, floating ax heads, lions that give up a free lunch, waters that part and millions of people walk across. The whole Bible is full of miracles. Our entire system of faith, our entire belief system 
depends on us believing that miracles happen. You take miracles out of Buddhism, they still have principles and practices that you can live by. You take miracles out of Islam, there are still principles and practices that you may live by. You take miracles out of Christianity and our whole belief system falls away. So one of the things that happened in this story is God does a miracle. A miracle happens. Now think about our belief system. It starts with a virgin getting pregnant and giving birth to a perfect child. That's a miracle, by the way. That doesn't happen. The incarnation is a miracle. And then Jesus lives a sinless life, dies outside the city gates of Jerusalem, is put in a borrowed tomb and dies a very real death. But on the third day, just as he had promised, the Holy Spirit comes into that tomb and his dead body comes back to life and the resurrection is a what? A miracle. And then he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. And he's interceding for you even as I speak. Everything from that point on, when the Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes upon a group of people in the upper room, cloven tongues of fire, winds and tongues begin to happen. That is a miracle. Jail cells open, apostles walk out free. That is a miracle. Dead people come back to life. The sick are healed. Those who are bound up by demons are set free. All of that is a what? A miracle. Our whole belief system depends on us believing that miracles still happen. That miracles did happen and miracles can still happen. Albert Einstein says there's only two ways to live your life. Now he's a scientist, right? There's only two ways to live your life. One is if nothing is a miracle and the other is if everything is. Listen, I believe it's all a miracle. I believe the creation of our planet system was a miracle. I believe the creation of our earth was a miracle. I believe I am a miracle. I believe you are a miracle. I think you're a miracle that was knit in the womb of your mother. I think all of this is, the, is an act of the miraculous. If we take away the possibility of miracles from Christianity, we have ruined the fabric of our faith. Now, I want you to consider this just for a moment. Okay? I want you to ask yourself a question and don't answer it quickly unless you know the answer. But do miracles still happen today or not? Are miracles possible in your everyday Monday through Sunday life? Can miracles happen in your apartment, in your home, at your job, and in your school? Listen, people ask me all the time, Pastor Brady, do you really believe in miracles? I said, listen, I've just seen too many not to believe in them. I am a walking miracle. I was born in a very rural area of North Louisiana. I had no access to world-class healthcare. And one day I walked in, and you've heard some of this story. I was six months old, I my skin was blue. I was almost dead at six months old. We walked into my country doctor's office and on his bookshelf, was a magazine that had just arrived at his country doctor place that talked about a doctor in Houston, Texas that was saving babies' lives with experimental heart surgery. My dad saw it, asked my country doctor, is this something that Brady could help save Brady's life? He said, let me call and find out. So he gets on a rotary dial phone in 1967, calls Texas Children's Hospital. They answer the phone. The guy says, get that kid here. I think I can save his life. 
A week later, I'm in Texas Children's Hospital. Dr. Denton Cooley did eight surgeries that morning. Six children died. Me and a girl from Romania survived. And I'm standing here today because I, yes, I believe in miracles. I believe in them. So what is it? Let me give you just a really workman's, just a, a simple explanation of what a miracle is. A miracle is a divine invasion into human affairs. It's God getting involved in your life. It's God engineering things in your life that you cannot do on your own. It's when you take your hands off the steering wheel and suddenly the car gets where it's supposed to be. Now don't try that, this, that's an allegory, okay? That is a metaphor, do not you, try that. But the point is, is that God cares about you. God wants to be involved in your life. And so why, why? So the question, that's a good question, if you believe in miracles, you're asking for miracles, why do we need miracles? Because the purpose of miracles is to produce faith. And once, listen very carefully, this is, I, I said this at the nine o'clock and I did not have it written down. I believe it's the word of the Lord for some of you that may not have grown up in a faith tradition that talked about miracles. One of the benefits that I had growing up in the charismatic Pentecostal world is from the time I could understand the Queen's English, I was told that everything that happened in the Bible could still happen today. And I've been taught that now for 56 years, that if it happened in the Bible, it can happen today. And I, I know that to be true. But maybe you were told that all miracles have ceased or that the Holy Spirit's not moving. Listen, once God does something for you the first time, you start finding it easier to ask God for the next time. Ask God to get involved in your life and the first time you see it, the first time you experience a move of God on your behalf, a door opening where it was always closed, a job appearing where there was no job, healing happening when your body was sick, a prodigal coming home because of a, of a miraculous series of events. I'm talking about a miracle. And once it happens the first time, you will have faith to ask the next time. Let me show this to you, okay? John chapter two, this is in the third and final year of Jesus's ministry. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and what, what happened? They believed in his name. Faith emerged, a grain of faith, a, a small amount of faith began to surface in people's lives. Why did they have faith? Because they just saw him raise a kid from the dead. They had just saw him open the blinded eyes of a woman. They just saw the miracles. John chapter six. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I believe right now in America, in most of our homes, we're not contending, we're not asking for miracles. And the reason a lot of our children are struggling in their faith is because they've not been introduced to the miraculous nature of a God they're trying to figure out. And they're asking good questions. They, they have good theological questions, but a lot of those questions would be answered 
If moms and dads would begin to pray for the miraculous provision of God in their life, if they would begin to see mom and dad with faith in their life for miracles, and when God intervenes inside a home, kids are come to Christ, dads come to Christ, moms come to Christ, grandparents come to Christ. Why? Because miracles open our eyes to the goodness of God, the power of our God. So the question I have, and this is the question that's lingering in the air today for many of us, because I know the question you're asking, well, Pastor Brady, you don't know how many times I've prayed for something and it still has not happened. I've been praying now for this for a long time. In fact, I, have, I can't remember the last time I prayed for it because I gave up. And I totally understand that. I have things that I've been praying for for decades. I have things that I've been praying for for a long time. I mean, 10, 15 years I have prayed for two or three things I can tell you about that they're very private to me but I'm seeking the Lord. I'm calling on God still 10, 15 years later. Why do I keep persevering? So the question is, do miracles still happen today? Now, Jesus was asked that question and Jesus knew that we would have that question in 2023. So Jesus is about to speak to us in modern day America, 2023. John chapter 14. He says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you can't understand that, if you can't believe that, he says, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So even Jesus said, listen, I can talk to you, I can teach you, I can lead you, but I know that until I do miracles in front of you, you're not going to be convinced. And that's why for three years, Jesus walked through Galilee and walked through Jerusalem and miracles followed him from town to town. Why? He was trying to awaken their spiritual imagination that the Messiah had come. He said, so I tell you the truth. Now, whenever Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, it's not because we're not to believe everything else he said, what he's saying is I'm about to give you an, an unchangeable, undeniable, immutable truth about myself. I tell you the truth. So emphasize the word the. I tell you the truth. He says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Leave that up for a moment. That's, that's kind of impossible to believe. Let's think about this for a moment. I don't see any Jesus walk. I don't see any saints. I see some saints, but I don't see any angels. And none of us live up to the standards of Jesus, right? None of us are Christ incarnate. We're all flawed, imperfect human beings living out a flawed, imperfect life in a flawed, imperfect world, right? Amen to that? Then Jesus is either telling us the truth or he's not. He says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. That's either true or it's not. That's why he said at the beginning, I tell you the truth. All right, now, then he not only says that about you, he, he takes it one step further. He says, in fact, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, what does that mean? It means that he's sitting right next to the Father in heaven right now, calling out your name and your circumstances repeating back to the Father what's necessary for your survival and thriving. He's praying for you, he's interceding for you. He says, that's why when you call on the name of the Lord, when you pray in my name, he's about to talk about this, 
you're not just calling on your historical reference about Jesus, what you understand about Jesus. You're involving God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit into the affairs of your life. Listen to what he says, verse 13. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Let's stop for a moment. So you're not to pray to be rich and skinny, okay? Stop that. It's not working anyway, okay? Stop it. What he's saying is here, do you know what I, or do you know what my will is for the world and, you, and, the, and for you and the world around you? Do you know what my will is? My will is that everyone call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It is my will that people flourish. It is my will for people to be healed. It is my will for people to be set free from the darkness. Of, of demonic oppression and depression is my will for the, for the marginalized to be rescued. I can go on and on and on. But if you know God's will for people and for yourself, he says, ask, ask for it. And I will do so that the son of man bring, may be, bring glory to the father. Look at verse 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. New Life Church, this is, this is why we wake up every morning with faith and hope and joy. Even when things around you seem impossible, when things around you seem broken, beyond repair, when things around you feel hopeless and when you feel in despair, you go back to these words and read them out loud over your home. I belong to God. Jesus found me when I was not looking for him. He saved me. He has filled me with the Holy Spirit. He has given me his word as a light from my path. He has, he has pointed me in the direction of life and flourishing. And if I call on his name and ask him for anything that is in his will, listen, it will be done. It's going to happen. And this is why we pray. This is why we pray for Israel. This is why we pray for the innocent Palestinians. This is why we pray for the lost in our community. This is why we pray for the sick. This is why we pray for the prodigal to come home. This is why we pray for broken marriages that want to be healed. This is why we pray. Because if we ask it in according to his will, if we call on the name of the Lord, he hears us. Now, what's fascinating about this passage in John chapter 14, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when, when those three writers of the gospels, when they use the word for miracles, almost exclusively they use the word dunamis, which is a Greek word for miracles. But John uses a different word because I think John had a different understanding of what miracles were. So John uses the word erga, erga, for Jesus' work. It's different than the word that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, but when John uses the word, it's erga. You know what the word means? It means what you do reveals who you are. What John was saying to us is you are the carrier of his grace and his power. You have inside of your very being the miraculous power and nature of God in you. And it's a gift from the Lord. So if you walk into a confusing, chaotic situation, 
If you walk into a messy place that needs a miracle, you already have inside of you, by God's grace and his gifting and his spirit, you have power residing inside of you for miracles. You are a miracle waiting to happen. That's what John's saying to you. You have, you have the capability, the probability of miracles in your life. It's who you are. Now think about if we lived every day like that. Erga, I am a person by God's grace who's been saved. And I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And with that Holy Spirit came the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. To speak to dark forces that want to influence me or my family and cast it away from me. In Jesus' name. We have the power of God residing inside of us. Erga people. That's who we are. Common people doing common stuff and calling on God to do uncommon things in our lives. That's who we are. Somebody say amen if, you, if two of you believe that. Did anybody in the room need that today? So let me show you this in James chapter five. This is the brother of Jesus, James chapter five. Listen to what he says about this erga power. James five, verse 16, he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now leave it up just for a moment. Go back to verse 16. The effective, now what, what did Jesus say was effective? In my name, for my will. In my will, my name. My will, my name. Let, let his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's effective prayer. That's what the word effective means. I'm praying for the will of Jesus in the name of Jesus. That is a guaranteed, that prayer is answered. When I'm praying God's will in his name, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. But then he says, but I want you to be fervent. Put it back on verse 16, please. Go back, there you go. But he, then he uses the word fervent. You know what he's talking about? He's say, talking about not giving up. He's not talking about loud. People use that all the time. But listen, God's not hard of hearing. I know I preach like he is, but I just promise you, he's not hard of hearing. He, he hears your whispers. So it's not about your emotions, about I, I see these prayer meetings where yelling and screaming and jumping. That, listen, that's, if that's probably good for you. It does nothing for God. God probably is entertained by some of that more than anything. But the, what he's saying is here, don't quit. Be fervent every day. Make up your mind. I'm praying for that today. I'm praying again for that today. I, I know how to pray effectively and I know how to pray fervently. Fervent means not quitting. Keep going. Don't stop of a righteous man avails much. Now I'll go to verse 17. And then he uses the example of Elijah. I love that James takes us back into the Hebrew gospel, the Hebrew story. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? That Elijah was just a normal dude. And we don't know much about Elijah, that he appeared as a prophet. So we can go back into some Jewish history and find some of his lineage and things. But the point is, he was not a trained scholar. He wasn't, he wasn't a trained military power. He, he, was not, he was not a large businessman. He was a guy that appeared in history for a moment that Israel needed him. He was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly 
that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And I love this, verse 18 is, here, here's the fervent part. And he prayed again. New Life Church, that's, that's really what I woke up this morning hoping you would catch, is that Elijah prayed and then he prayed again. And I'm asking you to consider that maybe whatever you're needing for your life, whatever condition you find yourself in this morning, I'm sure you've prayed about it. I'm not, I am not here to accuse you of being spiritually immature or, or any of those things. I know how faithful you are. I know how much you love God and, and how diligent you are. I'm just here to, to encourage you. Maybe you should pray again. And in the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want us to, whatever it is that you brought into the room today, for those of you watching online, would you join me as I pray? I'm going to pray just a pastoral prayer over you today. Now, I don't know if you were here last Sunday, I, I felt like the Lord told me, gave me a word for New Life Church. He said, Pastor Brady, at the end of the sermon, pray over them the way you want them to pray over each other the rest of the week. So I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna pray over you right now. So would you just receive a pastoral prayer over your life? As if you and I were having lunch together and you shared some things with me, and at the end of that lunch, I reached over and took your hand and prayed over you. This is how I want this moment to feel. I want you to have a pastor that prays over you. So I'm gonna do that today. And would you just receive it? Father in heaven, you're a good God with good plans for our lives. You know us, you see us, and unlike the gods of Baal, you hear us and you move on our behalf. You're not deaf, you're not distant, you're right here. Your ears are open to our cries, you see us. The Father, today I pray for the, any discouraged saints in the room who have been praying and waging spiritual warfare in many cases over an issue in their lives and They've yet to see the breakthrough, but I pray today we would pray again. I pray today that they would have effective, fervent prayers come out of their mouths. I pray that they would pray without ceasing. I pray that they would pray until the answer comes, and I pray you would be right there with them. I pray that you would see the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed in their life, and I pray you would respond powerfully to common people praying common prayers for uncommon things. I pray for healing in the room right now. Lord, by your stripes, we have been healed. And I ask now for the miracle of healing, our mental health, our physical health. I pray right now would come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that's been damaged would be restored. Everything broken would be repaired. I pray for marriages in the room that are struggling. I pray you'd bring unity and healing and hope back into the marriages of our church. I pray for single men and women and for students, Lord. I pray you would surround them with the goodness and the grace of the Lord. I pray that they would find community. I pray that they would find family. I pray that they would find hope. I pray that you would strengthen them by your mighty right hand. I pray you'd watch over them and guide them and lead them. I pray for people in the room needing work. I pray you'd open the door that you have designed for them, that you have ordained for them. I pray it would be satisfying work, good work, and I pray that you would meet their needs according to your riches and your glory. Lord, I pray for favor upon our people as they look and seek and knock. Lord, I pray peace over this room today. 
in a world that has gone mad with war and greed and violence, I pray that we would be the people of peace, being led by the Prince of Peace into a place of peace. So I pray against anxiety, worry and fear and doubt in this room. And I pray for great faith to rise up in our hearts. I pray for strength and an anointing from the Holy Spirit unlike anything we've ever experienced. I pray that would settle over us today and keep us and strengthen us and sustain us. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. I want those of you who serve at the table of the Lord, if you serve the table and the bread, the cup and the bread, would you come down right now? We're about to come to the table of the Lord. This is a divine miracle. The body and the, uh, the blood of Jesus, we proclaim it as a miracle. It is essential to our story, his forgiveness and his wholeness. And we're coming today to declare the goodness of the Lord as we take the bread and the cup. The ushers will give you instructions if you're new today. We all, everybody comes out and files down. If you don't wanna receive communion, don't feel any shame or embarrassment, but if you're a follower of Jesus, come and receive. And if you're not able to physically come down, just tell someone next to you and they'll grab one and bring it back to you, all right? Come to the table of the Lord.
I want you to take the bread with you and open it up and open up the cup. I came back up today because I just sensed that there are some of you, are you ready to say yes to Jesus and you heard good news today? And I just wanna give an opportunity to say yes, to respond to what Jesus is doing in your life. And before we take the bread and the cup, I'm gonna just pray a very simple prayer. It's a prayer that I've been quite honestly praying for 35 years. And I pray it all the time because I, I wanna remind myself of how good God's been to me and his grace for me. But for some of you, you've never prayed it, you're ready, you're ready. If some of you watching online, you know, next week over hundred people are gonna be baptized and the reason they're being baptized is because someone told them the good news and they believed and they said yes. And I wanna give you that opportunity in the room today and maybe next Sunday is your Sunday to be baptized because of a prayer you're about to pray right now. So we just pray this new life, just pray it out loud with me as a prayer of confession. But for some of you, this is the first time you're gonna pray it and believe it. And Christ is about to come really near to you. Jesus is gonna become real to you and near to you today. So pray with me as a prayer of confession. Father in heaven, I am a sinner who cannot save himself. I have tried and I cannot. So I need a savior and I choose today to follow Jesus with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to be faithful to Jesus all the days of my life. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, can we just thank the Lord for grace, for salvation today, for people who prayed that prayer all over the world and thank you so much. Amen, come on, we can give a hand to the Lord for that. I know, you, oh yeah, you got, your, you got your hands full. A shout then. All right, there we go. <laughs> I'm asking you to be messy. I see grape juice flying all over the building. Let's lift up the bread. Father, thank you, Lord, that your body is broken up for us. On the night you were betrayed, you took the piece of bread and you broke it. You gave thanks for it. You blessed it. And you passed it to your disciples. And you said, as often as you gather, take this bread, break it, and remember my body that was broken for you. Today, we remember the brokenness of our world, but we thank you that the life of the world to come will restore all things. And if you believe that, would you take the bread with me? And then he lifted up a cup that was in the middle of the table. He says, as often as you drink of this, remind yourselves of the new covenant I'm making with you, the new deal, that grace will forgive you, that I have chosen to forgive you and you have the forgiveness of sins. If you believe that today, would you take the cup with me? Amen, come on, let's worship together. Let's celebrate and worship.
glad that you came to church today. It's so good to see all of you. I want our altar team to come down. We have people that love to pray for you. If there's anything at all, we talked about prayer today, and we mean that. We'd love to pray with you. So if you have a need, if you have a, anything at all, let us pray for you. There's out in the lobby is Guest Central. If you're new today, first of all, welcome. We're so glad you came. We hope you feel welcomed. I promise you this is a, it's a big building, but a small church. And we, we, if you stay here for a few weeks, people will know you. They're going to greet you. They will find you. They'll pray for you. And, or they'll leave you alone if that's what you want. All right? But either way, we'll take good care of you. Also, hey, there's a, speaking of taking care of you, I think we have some section parties today. Put those up. Uh, it's uh, section two. Where's my section two people? Right here in room 161, which is down the hall. Our section 12, which is here. And these people know how to party. I'm just telling you. So you may ask, what is section community? It's an opportunity. When you remember, if some of you grew up as a kid after church, you would have a casserole with people at the church. That's kind of what this is. Go and find people. You sit there, there's food, there's drink, there's hanging out time. And it's a chance for you to get to meet some people that sit with you in your section, okay? All right, does that sound good? All right, let me pray for you as you go out today. Let's uh, turn our hands toward the Lord. Father, we thank you today that you've met with us. Now, Lord, if we go, I pray you'd send us out as Urga people, carriers of miracles and grace, carriers of good news. So we go out today full. We go out today equipped. We go out today encouraged. And we thank you that you're with us, that you're for us, that you're in front of us and behind us. And we bless the name of the Lord as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.